Hello, hey, Black Belt Barrister. How are you? How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I am well, thank you. Do you, do you only go by Black Belt Barrister? You don't see your name as, as the thing <laughs> on I, I, I put that on just so it's easier for people to find me. But um, yeah, my name is Daniel. You can call me Daniel or Dan. Daniel! <laughs> I can call you Black Belt Barrister as you well. You can call me Black Belt Barrister um, if you wish. <laughs> Oh, oh, and you sound good. You look good. This is it's, it's good. We're, we're, we're well, hopefully you can hear me. It's not your not your internet connection that's at fault. I mean, I felt I felt uh, really bad for for Janice and seeing her cut off like that. But um, it's, I, I caught the last bit of it. it. Sounds like a very moving story. But um, oh, hopefully yeah, you can yeah. hear. You were of, of John McAfee. Uh, I'm not actually. I, I just I just caught the tail end of the story. Ah, uh, right. Oh, you got there's a documentary called Gringo, which I think was on Netflix or somewhere like that. That was just. Mm it's out of this world he's the most outrageous person i've ever heard of just just insane but i'll check into that tell me about your background and your youtube channel my background well my background's in business and martial arts mm. hence the black belt in the black belt barrister um i was in business before i came to the bar the bar of england and wales uh some refer to it as the senior half of the profession um you recognize uh, barristers as wearing wigs and gowns going into court representing cases and providing specialist advice is what we do um mid well early covid really i started um the youtube channel black belt barrister to help people understand law kind of became my tagline i'm the barrister that helps you understand law uh, it's not my first channel my first channel was in martial arts helping people understand martial arts i suppose it was black belt secrets so the uh, the secrets of martial arts of being a black belt so i now tend to offer my opinions on black belt secrets as opposed to black belt barrister i try to re refrain uh, from opinions too much on black belt barrister more law and understanding uh, legal principles but hopefully people will subscribe to both and hopefully you've got both the links but um yeah i yes. I, I hope that i uh, achieve my goals i get lots of emails telling me that people have won their cases on the on the back of little tips oh. and guidance which which is always nice to receive uh so i i really appreciate those so when people send me that there's little emails yeah. telling me they've had a success from just how we do our job essentially and yeah. um and it works for them do you think you're welcome for the advice I gave you for free that you didn't pay for? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's an unbelievably common request um, to to have. I mean, you know, the nice part of me would love to help everyone uh, that I that, that asks for help, but there's so 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 many I don't even see them all. Um, but um, I also have to. Uh, make and earn money and i make the distinction between the two you can make money you can earn money I, I, <laughs> that's sort of where the business of me comes in but uh there we go <laughs> hmm. what's the difference making and earn, yeah so if you're earning money i i think you are exchanging your time for a, a limited amount of money uh to put it bluntly and i i, I know that might sound harsh but uh, there is a rate of hmm. pay that someone will pay for your time and it, they quantify it quite easily making money on the other hand is you set up systems or you own intellectual property which generates money without your time going into it that's for wow. me that's the difference yeah that's really interesting yeah i never that's, thought yeah, that's that like your your uh, your master's level business course in 30 seconds <laughs> there you go everyone we've just we've just all learned something um and and then just briefly for for those non-british people um what's a barrister so in England and Wales, I say England and Wales because when I say the UK, I get people in Scotland get upset with me. But uh, in England and Wales, we have a split profession, um, which is between solicitors and barristers. 
And although the lines have been blurred somewhat, it is still broadly a separate profession. Um, and I'll describe it as this. So in the United States, you have an attorney who will pretty much deal with all of your case for you. And when it goes to trial, they will have what they refer to as a trial lawyer, which is still an attorney and there's no huge distinction, but just someone who is experienced enough to go and do the trial. In the UK, in England and Wales, we make that distinction between solicitors and barristers. The barrister is the trial lawyer and the solicitor broadly broadly does everything else. And I'm, I'm being very careful not to disrespect anybody because um, you get you can get very, very good solicitors who are far better than very junior barristers. Um, so I'm just I'm, I'm being diplomatic, but that that is the way that it is. Um, one broad distinction is is when you qualify and become a practicing barrister, you have automatically full rights of audience up to the Supreme Court, which solicitors do not. Um, conversely, solicitors can conduct litigation, which is a, a fancy way of saying filing things in court and filing official documents and receiving official documents. Barristers mm. cannot, by default. Uh, we have to take an, an additional extension to our practicing certificate. So I'm one of only around a thousand barristers in the UK that do that. So I right. conduct litigation as well. Um, there's okay. a few more distinctions, but that's the that's the broad explanation. So people recognize a barrister, as I say, when you see the wig and gown, which is behind me, uh, hanging up there, and the wig is on the oh. stand. <laughs> so uh, Very cool. wig, wig and gowns, that's how you recognize a barrister. Um, and yeah. solicitor advocates need, is where yeah. it gets even more complicated. Say again? You don't need hair. You can disguise and not having hair. No, absolutely. Hair, I can blend but... right in. <laughs> yeah. Not that I want to assume that you would rather have more more hair, nor that Sean would want to have more hair himself. You might both be happy without the hair, but you could disguise with the wig if you wanted. It's in, no, interesting. I, I actually did a, a video just recently on Black Belt Secrets, because that's where my sort of personal views and opinions come in, about this very issue, because it is still medically described as alopecia. And obviously with the Oscars and, um, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith and all, all, all of that with Will Smith and the slap and so on. Um, you know, some people think it's real. Some people think it isn't real. I'm not going to comment which way or the other, but um, either way, the issue of alopecia came to the forefront. And what is referred to as uh, male pattern baldness or balding mm -hmm. is actually alopecia. Only we refer wow. to it differently. And so, um, you know, whether it's hereditary or in my case, it was sort of, I think it was sort of part hereditary and part a salon burnt my head um, sort of 15 years ago. Uh, and it didn't really grow back after that. So I just cut the rest of it off uh, and made it my style. But um, I did the video to bring quite, you know, quite frank attention to it, because as you could probably tell, it doesn't bother me. Um, I talk about it openly and I've had jokes about it. I laugh about it. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, but for a lot of people, I, I can absolutely see it's it's a real it's a real problem. Just just as dealing with a, a legal case and a legal issue. And, you know, I um, I'll put it bluntly, you know, I, I see everybody uh, is just as susceptible as turning turning to tears when they go to court. You know, it doesn't matter how uh, big and strong you are, male or female. You could be reduced to tears when you go to court because it's such an overwhelming experience. Yeah. Then that the the boldness thing is is that the alopecia because people some people can't take it and or, or feel very sensitive about it. I mean, Larry David writes mm -hmm. a lot. Do you ever watch Larry David stuff comedy? He's he boldness is like a central theme of his comedy, being bold himself. Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, I think there's 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 one one or two that have have, have done that. And um, mm. I think I think for a lot of people that 
they will take it on as part of their um, almost identity because I think you can do one of two things. And I'm I'm a I'm a positivity person. Uh, you know, I, I always look at how do we move forward? How do we move forward positively? What's the objective? What are you trying to achieve? I'm always moving forward. And so I just take it as part of my identity. It's like, oh, well, that's well, that's the way it is. Move on, you know, carry on, get on Screw with it. it. And yeah. Um, I, yeah. yeah, you have to. And I, so I, I literally make it part of the identity. And uh, it, I think if you if you let it bother you, it holds you back. I think you've got to find a way of moving forward. Um, like Jada, Jada uh, said, you know, she just took took to the fact that she cut her hair short and and lived with it. And um, absolutely right. That's that's the way that I dealt with it. Um, mm. I think the same is true for lots of different things. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. And let's move from one uh, Hollywood celeb to another. Um, should we start with Kevin Spacey, maybe? And guys in the in mm. the thingy on the side, if you've got questions, do you know ask away, and we'll try and get to them and all that. But what what's actually? Because we all know. I mean, most of us know about allegations going on, roughly. Mm. But would you be able to summarize what what can actually be said about what he is alleged to have done? Um, well, I'm not going to go into too many specifics, but it's it's essentially um, the, the the charges of uh, assaults of a certain kind. I won't say for your YouTube channel for because you um, certain words and stuff, but um, they're they're a type of type of assaults, man on man, if you will, that um, that are usually um, taken very seriously. Um, there are two counts in this case, um, dating back to 2005 and 2008, um, without consent, and so they are they are taken fairly seriously. Um, and of course, in the UK, there's there's no time limit on such things. I know there's statutes of limitations in various jurisdictions. Um, in the UK, for such offences, there are no uh, limitations. There's for summary only offences. There's a six, a, you know, fairly strict uh, six month time limit. So, you know, one day beyond six months and it's out of time. But this this could be 30, 40 years old, and it would it could still be. Uh, charged, and that's what's happened here. Um, I mean, he's voluntarily appeared, which is worth adding um, in the UK for his first appearance. Um, with such, so there's a mix of offences, but because the more serious one goes to the Crown Court, he's going to the Crown Court. So the way it works in in, in England and Wales, I will say, is um, if there's an offence serious enough to go to the Crown Court, they all go to the Crown Court. If they are linked, which in this case they are because they're the same kind of nature, so they're all going to the Crown Court. Uh, so his first appearance was literally literally that. It's you, you turn up, you say, I'm here, and you hear um what you know what the allegations are. And there's an actually there's an interesting um I don't know how much uh, your audience is interesting in the trivia, but you'll you'll get it one way or the other and we'll we'll know in the comments. Let us know in, in the comments if you like the trivia, because there's tons of it. If you don't like it, I'll stop it. But <laughs> the trivia is this. Um your first most people will be aware of the the notion of um credit for pleading guilty and a credit for an early plea and so the the essence of that is the earlier you say yes it was me you get a bigger reduction on any sentence that you would otherwise get and it starts as a, a third to a quarter then it goes all the way down to well to nothing when you get to trial the idea behind that is one to save the court time and money, but also to sort of reward the honesty about 
having committed an offence. Now, the trivia is this. The first opportunity to formally enter a plea is, is not the first opportunity to indicate that you're likely to plead guilty if you wanted to attract the um, the discount off your sentence. And there's appeal uh, judgments to, to back this up. So if you're going to formally enter your plea in the Crown Court, as in the case of Kevin Spacey, the the magistrate's court appearance would just be to indicate what you're likely to plead. And there is literally a box to check to say intends to plead guilty or not guilty. And in this case, of course, not guilty, and it's going to the Crown Court, um, at which point he will formally enter, it, I expect, um, you know, unless there's a drastic change uh, of heart before then, um, a not guilty plea. But um, on the face of it, that's all we know. So he's been charged with these two things, um, which are both aged from 2005, 2008, and uh, pleaded not guilty. But because of, I think because he's voluntarily appeared, there's by inference there is no risk that he won't turn up for the next hearing. So he's got unconditional bail, which is is relatively rare in cases such as this. Um, and by unconditional bail, it just means there's there's no conditions attached to it. It's just you know go away and come back next time. And Ordinarily, it's you know the, the, there's big objections to bail, which is there's likely to interfere with witnesses, likely to commit further offences, and likely to fail to surrender for the next court appearance. Those are the three big objections, but clearly there's no there's no glaring objection uh, for the court, so they've granted him unconditional bail. I thought that was interesting, and that's about all we know so far. Well, that's that seems yeah almost counterintuitive because you'd think the average person can't afford really to just go off to the, I mean is is that the fear that he'd go off to the Caribbean and never be heard from again whereas he yeah, essentially could yeah. do that yeah 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 essentially but but because he's he's come to the UK and voluntarily turned up for the hearing the wow. argument was of course that well he he turned up he showed up so there's no suggestion there's no there's no evidential basis that he's mm. not going to come back uh mm. so that was that was satisfactory for the court from his perspective why does he turn why did he turn up in the uk couldn't he just stay in the us and go no what would happen well that there, there is the the prospect of extradition and hmm. you know that that would take its own path but i think that the more pressing um apart from the pragmatic but the more the more pressing issue is that this this would then forever hang over him would it not because if, he, if he's been charged with it here but doesn't turn up to face those charges, it would forever uh, ha hang over him as something that he was accused of doing and ne never cleared his name for. So I strongly suspect, and this is not quite venturing into opinion territory just yet, but I strongly suspect that he wants to clear his name. And that's why yeah. he's volunteering to the proceedings because I, I you know, I think that, to, to surrender to them is is certainly indicative of, of trying cooperating with the, the proceedings and ultimately to to face those charges and clear his name or, or not as the case might be 
Mm. I suppose this is a problem maybe with media reporting or due process, but it hadn't even entered my mind that he might be able to clear his name or that he might not have done these things. Uh, and I bet I'm speaking on behalf of most people. Is that, do you, is that a problem? Do you think that's a problem that people like me, it's not even entered our minds? Um, you mean uh, you mean in the sense that you've you've read it, therefore it yeah. you feel that it seems to be true. Therefore, um, I, I think it's because of that. I mean, with with great respect to you, I think it's because of that that he needs to do this yeah. uh, to to clear his name. Because um, I'm not going to mention any names from history, but if I were to mention certain names from history, certain things come to your mind because of what they've been accused of doing and i think because of that you you sort of absolutely have to face them and clear your name so that otherwise if you if you don't do that you you can you can never or they can never say that they they were cleared of it and but to answer your question uh, properly um it's only a problem in so much as the public perception and when it comes to a jury trial which this obviously will be um I have faith in the jury system, and I know there's, there's, there, there are criticisms of the jury system. People say that you know they're unqualified and so on and so forth. But there is also this um, imperfection in the system, even if you follow the letter of the law and the letter of the procedure. Because, and I and I'll give you an example. So if you um, if you had an so take you know take it as read that you have an absolute slam dunk case, but there's one golden bit of evidence that you just don't produce in court because you don't think it's relevant or conversely there's another bit of evidence that you think is fine but actually it's damaging to your case even though it gives the wrong impression and so the result is you lose even though as i said take it as read that you had an absolute slam dunk case that's not well in, in one sense or another that's not proper justice is it because you think well you were right so, you know, in this scenario, we are assuming you are right, 100%, no question, you are right. But the system and the way the system works meant that you lost the case. And that's the system and the procedure and the evidence and, and all the rest of it. So that's the system. Then when you've got a punishable offense, particularly a serious one, we call upon the jury to fill in those gaps and say, well, this is what they say happened. This is what we say as defense. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And we leave that to a jury because we, we like the jury to be unanimous. And it's only with the judges say so that they can reduce it to, you know, a majority, which is rare in itself. Uh, I see someone in the comments saying common law. Um, yes, in a, in a sense. Now, there's, there's, uh, there's a, a broad discussion on common law, which a lot of people misunderstand common law. A lot of people think common law and the system and statutes and legislation are different things, and that's not quite true. Um, common law is the collective decisions of judges interpreting and applying the law to new cases, which may be compounding old common law onto new cases. So, so you know, murder, for example, is still a common law offence. It was decided within... A, a case itself in court uh, obviously it's been updated since then and there's various other types of um you know homicide and, and so on um captured within legislation but new cases decided form new common law but they work 
together as a body of law with legislation. So I was just picking up on one of the comments there. That was all. Um, because a lot of people do um, draw the distinction between court cases and, and process and legislation and think they're different. So Right. Well, inter I'm interested actually in the chat and, and what people do think, because uh, in, in terms of, you know, with with a jury coming up, of course, and that is one of the criticisms that there could be some bias because of the media. I mean, how many people, I, I reckon put, put a one if you um are put a one if you if if you're just sure that kevin spacey did do these crimes and put a two if you're open to the idea that maybe he didn't i'm just interested in in how that in how that goes because hmm. i just think most of us are just convinced and and and, and i just feel like he, I just, and and I'm, just, I'm gonna ask you as well just going back to the, the crimes you talked about mm -hmm. um yeah without consent now does that mean that he was forceful with somebody or does that mean that he it was somebody who was un, too young to give their consent? Uh, well, it could be either. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean with force either. Because, you know, if, um, let's say, I'm sat next to you right now and I, I use your mobile phone without your consent, there's no real, there's no force involved in that. And let's say you're too shy to tell me to stop and i just use your phone i'm using your phone without consent so there's not necessarily any force involved if people can follow okay, follow yeah. the, the analogy um <clears throat> it just means that but you're right yes either consent wasn't freely given or uh was not of capacity to to provide mm -hmm. that and different um don't google this anybody <laughs> but different jurisdictions have different ages for such things but don't google it you'll end up on a list <laughs> um, but um, you know uh, yes it could mean a lot of different things but the the one thing i will say and again i'm not i'm not venturing into opinion and, and giving my opinion either way on, on kevin spacey here but what i would say to those that are absolutely sure that that he did this what i would say to you is you don't know because you haven't seen the evidence and you cannot know for sure. The only way you would know for sure if you heard all the evidence presented and then all the defense to rebut that evidence and then come to a decision. And that's why we trust the jury. That's right, the only way yeah. you can be sure. I've because, got two, two parts of my head now. I've got one of them's yeah. going like, what you've just said is the right thing. And then the mm. other, the more emotional side is yeah. going, yeah, but he did it. It must be true, why, yeah. yeah. I know. Exactly. Yeah. And and, everybody, and that's, the, that's the point. And I I've described it a number of ways in, in the past. And the best way that I can, I come to is this. When, when you watch, or when you hear rather, when you hear the, the prosecution case, which is both the opening and the, the evidence of each of the witnesses that they call and any other evidence uh, that, they, that they bring, CCTV and so on and so forth. When you hear the whole of the prosecution case, you should be absolutely convinced they are right. This happened. And then you think, don't need to hear anymore. You, you should be convinced. In a good case, you know, in a good in a case that should have been brought, you should be convinced. However, then you hear the defense case and they cross-examine the witnesses and they challenge the evidence and they put doubts in your mind and they they robustly defended. You should then be equally convinced that there's no way that this happened. Yeah. And so yeah. there's no way this is true. This just didn't happen. And then you go back to the jury room and you should be left in the position of thinking, what on earth do we think now? Because you should have, you know, both both clearly 
and fiercely fought positions that you then have to fill in the blanks. And that that's when you know you've got a fair trial. And yeah. so one of the well, things well, we would well, go on. Sorry, go on, go ahead. Oh no, you were gonna I want to hear what you want to say. I was I was just gonna follow that up with um one thing we that we often say to clients is when you hear the evidence against you, whether it's civil or criminal, people get just as upset about civil trials as they do criminal trials, more, more so in some cases. Um, we say you'll be really upset when you hear the, the case against you. So be prepared for that. Mm. You know, people think they won't, but you, we, we say, you know, be prepared to be upset when you hear the case against you. But remember, you've got your turn afterwards. Yeah, no, of course. And if, if, Kevin Spacey, you know, what could happen to him? Is it a worse crime if because it's an underage person? Is it, I mean, the sentence in terms of a sentence and what might, yeah, what do you, I, I guess it's speculation, but what could happen if he, if he's found guilty? Yeah. I mean, if, if it, if it were as serious as that and, and that's found to be the case and let's, let's say it all goes against him, then yeah, it could be a, a significant sentence. It could be a significant custodial sentence. And, you know, it's, it's likely, and so they, a sentence can only be suspended, meaning they don't go directly to prison if it's uh, under two years uh, and it's suspended for, you know, up to, you know, two years. And so it, they don't go to prison uh, immediately, you know, unless they commit a further offence, in which case they usually go to prison for the original one and the new one. Um, but this would likely, if, if all of that were borne out and he was found guilty, then he'd like, it'd likely be significantly north of two years so it wouldn't be suspended so there wouldn't be an option really of, of sending him to prison oh but as i say you know i think a lot of people do jump to the conclusion um be, and i'm gonna be i'm gonna go on a very slight cliff edge and say i think a lot of people jump to conclusions because of the nature of the offense and they think well mm. it's this is so bad therefore you know they can't possibly accuse someone of that unless unless it really happened. But for those that are sure, let me tell you this. Um, obviously, I can't give any, uh, and I, I would never give any specific details. But uh, I'm involved in, I've been involved in lots of family cases where equally grotesque uh, accusations are made falsely, and they are just not true. So these these accusations are made. And there's no merit behind them whatsoever. So for those of you that are sure, uh, I'm telling you, you can't be sure. You really can't. I guess it's the amount, it's the number of people as well, isn't it? The accusers. I think there was sort of one initial person, then there were 15 others came out, and then three men in the UK have come out. Mm. But I, I suppose they, you, you could say they're jumping on, it's possible they could be jumping on some sort of bandwagon. Potentially, yeah. I mean, as I say, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not exactly, you know, jumping up as defense advocate here i'm i'm remaining neutral but what, what what i am saying is um you know there will be there will be a case against him there will be a, a case in defense there always is um but and until that determination no one can be sure uh, and you can say you know you could you could take that with the 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 Depp heard trial you know a lot of people were so sure a lot of people were so sure because of the uk verdict but then obviously completely overturned their views because of the, the VA verdict. So, you know, um, mm. and you know what, I want to get to that, happens. but I want to get yeah. to, to Bill Cosby first, because it's another, uh, name that we've not spoken about so much on this, on this channel. Obviously we've done mm. a bit, quite a bit of herd and death, although I do want to get onto that. Um, again, what is the latest with, with 
Bill Cosby? Because I, I, I sort of read his Wikipedia and it's quite confusing to me about what seems to be going on. So in layman's terms, what, what's going on? Um, yeah, so again, sort of limiting the language for YouTube so as not to limit your, your video. But um, yeah. in essence, in I mean, this goes back to 1975 um, with a 16-year-old at the time. And um, that lady who, uh, when made the allegation uh, and the case came to trial was 64 years old so you can you can see the difference in the in the time frame there um and there was a, a bit of a legal uh technicality as to why the limitations were overridden because again in in the uk there is no limitation for such things but um in the us there normally is uh, but that was overridden for on technical uh, legal grounds um and ultimately ultimately this was uh, a civil trial not a criminal trial but because there's a there's a there's a parallel between there's almost always a parallel between um civil and criminal allegations and and, and cases so just on a brief tangent so people follow that because it's relevant to this trial um the best explanation is someone damages your car so it's criminal because it's criminal damage but there's a civil claim because you've got to repair the car so there's a, a monetary value to repair the car, but it's criminal if it's criminal damage. Um, interestingly enough, you can't criminally damage your own property. Uh, so if you yeah. smash your own phone up, it's not criminal. <laughs> um, so in, the, in this case, um, and it's probably also useful to explain that a civil trial is normally there to just provide damages, which means money to compensate or to... Uh, to rectify the wrong, if you like. Uh, and in the States, you have punitive damages as well for certain things like defamation, uh, where where someone has done something with malice, which doesn't quite mean what everyone thinks it does, but we'll get back to that. Um, but in such cases where someone has done something deliberately wrong like that, there are punitive damages, and the punitive bit is designed to punish the person. So there's compensatories to obviously compensate the person. Punitive is to punish the person. Um, but ultimately, all, all, all civil damages are designed to uh, provide a compensation of some form. And so in this case, as I understand it, there's a half a million pound uh, award uh, for this particular aged offence, uh, which again just goes to, to prove that um, these, these things can, can come back many years later. Um, I mean, of course, this, this was on top of... Um, there were three counts of um, assault some years ago, but they were overturned. And this again, I mean, this comes this comes to a point. A lot of a lot of people are not um, are not necessarily convinced when it's overturned on a um, on a technicality. So you know, let's say um, let, let's say someone accused of a crime gets gets the conviction overturned on a, a real technicality of the. Uh, the the let's say the evidence and the the chain of custody or something like because it's a common one if there's a break in the chain of custody then they go to the court of appeal and they say there's no way you can prove this was the same thing and it most likely was but that's not beyond any reasonable doubt is it so um but that's what happened to him some years ago but obviously this this is the latter latter one of those so ultimately he's he's found guilty of that hmm. and did he have to pay then five hundred thousand dollars Yes, it's a half. As I understand it, it's a half a million uh, dollar uh, compensation. 
which um and, and and then and then prison as well or it's just because money what's money to him I, I have no idea but he could have millions well that that's yeah I, I presume so and that's that's what a lot of people find um difficult to accept because a lot of people say it's just money well that's all the civil courts can impose if you want the criminal trial then you know a in the states you again you've got this lim certain limitations uh, and b is a diff different standard of proof so i would reasonably suspect that if if it were a full-blown criminal trial in any sense in any case there's going to be a far more difficult burden to overcome than a civil trial because of the burden of proof so and and again there's a trivia for you um do tell me in the comments if i'm boring you with the legal trivia but there's a, there's a, there's an interesting legal trivia here but if if someone is tried in the criminal courts in england and wales uh, and found not guilty you can still go to the civil court and assert that they were guilty and so um again taking the car scenario let's say someone scratched your car let's say they were found not guilty of criminal damage to your car but you're really annoyed about it and so you sue them in the civil courts for the money to repair your car you can say to the court you know your honor on the balance of probabilities this this defendant did commit this offense and did damage my car and you can use the fact that they were tried in the criminal courts as part of your evidence and say that you know the, mm. the crown felt that there was a case against them and they wouldn't have done so unless it felt that that there was sufficient evidence to to bring a you know to bring about a conviction and therefore on the balance of probabilities they did do it therefore i want my money <laughs> so That's it's it's an interesting trivia that you could there's a, this overlap between civil and criminal so i read that in 2005 in the civil court you know he he admitted that he was using quaaludes drugs on 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 women um which is a horrific crime it must be so mm. why has he not been prosecuted in criminal court I can't answer that. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, it 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 must only be that either time limits or inadmissibility of what they say was a confession and how the confession came about. There's there's probably there's lots of technicalities. I'd have to read into that to give you a proper answer. Because it is it's particularly of all of all these crimes, and you don't want to create a hierarchy of crimes or anything like that. But it's no. particularly egregious what he's alleged to have done. But, you know, especially when he was like that family face, wasn't he? Bill Cosby. I grew up watching yeah. all that stuff. And Amer America's nice dad, as he was known. Yeah, yeah. It was very much yeah. the Jimmy Savile of of the US in that in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So no, I I agree with you. Um, but then when you get um, when you get the notion that it's particularly egregious, then the 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 more severe it is, the the higher the burden of proof. So. Again, when it came about with, because um, a, a confession can unusually can be unusually is hearsay, so it depends how the confession came about as well. Because if he, hearsay is um, again legal trivia, but hearsay is anything that is not said in oral evidence, which is truth of the matter stated. So I could write down, I could write down on a piece of paper, I I damaged the car. And if you bring it as evidence, it's hearsay because you're trying to prove 
the truth that I damaged the car. If I get to court and say, no, I didn't. And you say, yeah, well, yeah, you did. Cause you, you wrote down on this piece of paper that you damaged the car. And I say, no, I didn't. That's hearsay. That doesn't, that doesn't prove that I did it. It's only proof that I wrote that down. Uh, and then, you know, some people will, well, surely you did it because you wrote it down, but I can tell you again, you can't be sure because I've been in situations like this before now. And uh, long story short, the reason the guy said it or wrote it was because somebody said they were going to kill his wife and children if he didn't. So you can't okay. be sure. And presumably, suddenly, you... is that why? Um, I presumably I could talk. I imagine about something like I could say, "Oh, talk about drug use or something that I did ten years ago or whatever." But I'd never really get, you know, uh, uh, prosecuted for it because I'd just be like, "No, I just said that." Yeah, essentially, yeah. Because if you if you don't say in court, and the only way that they know that you did it is because someone else heard you say it, or you know, they could give your, they, this is where these um, aged allegations come into court where someone comes forward and says, this happened and they become a witness. Now, if it's one person, it's what we call word against word. It's just one person against another. And there's almost always a reasonable doubt that they're just lying. But when you've got something else, and, you know, as you say, many more people coming forward, only if their accounts sort of stack up and, and corroborate, then potentially it, it can work. But aged allegations are notoriously difficult to prove, mm. uh, particularly to the criminal standard, which is technically a, beyond a reasonable doubt, but it's now described as being uh, so that the jury are sure that it happened just to help the jury understand what it really means you've got to be sure not just not just nearly sure not just well more you near know, more likely and you know that sort of thing it's got to be absolutely sure no doubt yeah so we found ourselves in a situation where a very powerful man has been raping um the women with drugs and force and different kind you know for years and it's mm. just free to walk the streets Allegedly, it's all allegedly, I guess. Uh, essentially, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the uh, that's the allegation, and um, you know, I've no doubt that that that's not the only uh, instance. There's there's probably, sadly, a, a great many cases like that, and mm -hmm. so they they go they go unheard, and it's this whole principle of being unheard that has made certain recent trials so popular to talk about because suddenly everyone's talking about it. And um, I, I, I certainly know a lot of people message me and say that they watch because this happened to them or they've been accused. And I've had a lot, you know, lots of emails that people's lives been turned upside down for two or three years whilst they're accused of something mm. only for it all to fall away at the end. And, you know, sorry about that, but it's two or three years of their life. I mean, the average, um, you know, RAPE case that that goes through the courts of England and Wales takes up to four years to um, to to come to trial, and imagine that having, you know, the 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 complainant slash victim uh, waiting around for four years to bring that to court to give evidence to only to relive it all over again. It's it's horrendous. Yeah. Got a, now a you know I mean, from, oh, people sorry. do make false yeah. allegations but um you know by, by and large when when there's enough evidence to bring the case it's you know 
it's diff- it's difficult to um you know the the, the conviction rate is um you know it's not it's not below 50 percent. put it that way mm. <laughs> so they, yeah. they, they they think carefully before they bring a case yeah that that's interesting um a conviction rate how how did cosby get out of prison asks keza 91 so he was in prison cosby uh yeah i don't know actually um I have to look into that one. I'm just looking now. Um, I, I, I think there was there was a, it was a technicality. There was um, he overturned the verdict because um, it was it was obviously the old one. Um, it will come to me in a minute. Yeah, it's, yeah, some sort of technicality. His lawyer said we knew all along he shouldn't have been prosecuted for this. Cosby tweeted, I have never changed my stance nor my story. I've always maintained my innocence. I'm not having that. I'm not having it. Um, he was initially convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting accuser. Uh, well, I won't say an that Maybe she doesn't want to be. Yeah, I guess it was some sort of technicality. It was It was done. I, I read it before and I didn't really understand. It was all just, it was mad to me. It was all like... Yeah. Like um... Hmm. I I do remember reading it, and now I can't remember what it was. It was a, a technicality, from what I remember. But as I say, it will come to me in a minute. That's outrageous, isn't it? Do you think they go easier on you know? Because he is um, in his mid eighties. He's got problems apparently with memory and recollection. Do you think? Um, do you think they go a little easier sometimes? Do they think, oh, we don't need to prosecute this person properly or, or something? Well, they certainly shouldn't. Um, I mean, that that shouldn't bear any any real. Um... Hmm. any change change on the way they approach the case at all it should just be uh a, a case for what it is um the only the only time that would um make make a difference is if they were not competent to give evidence or to face the trial or um or when they're being sentenced it might make a difference uh, as a mitigating factor uh for for sentence but um Certainly not with the approach to the case. Right. Yeah. I did. I just wondered about that because um, it is hard not to think about that. I suppose someone's really old. You're going, oh, just yeah. You know, what's he going to do now? You know. Are you. I can see you're looking. Are you? You're reading. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm reading sort of very quickly what this what this was. Um, A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. So I'm reading here from. Sky News, which I normally trust. His lawyers argued during the appeal hearing that the Montgomery County District Attorney should not have charged him in 2015 uh, because he held the previous DA job, decided not to file criminal charges in the case and issued a press release announcing the decision. Previous refusal to prosecute meant he couldn't avoid testifying. To... Yeah, it was. I think it was an... It was a confusion over making a statement that they weren't going to do something, then did it anyway, and so there was there was an overturn because of that, from what I can read. Yeah, it's it's a technicality. Oh, it's mad. The whole the whole that see that part of law, I get it, I get why that exists, but it's pretty mad. We've got some time left. I want to move on to Amber Heard and Johnny mm-hmm. Depp. What actually happened in the end? Because we were so on it. Everyone was like obsessed <laughs> with it. And then once sort of the results came out, so to speak, it was sort of, I think people weren't even properly reading it. It was just like, ah, well, she seems terrible, is what I think most people were saying. What what yeah. actually happened? So, I mean, in a nutshell, the jury didn't believe a word she said. That's probably the simplest way of putting it. Um, 
every lawyer I've spoken to says she was just completely not credible. Her evidence didn't stack up. There were too many inconsistencies, too many contradictions, um, even down to the... Um, as lawyers, we don't like to lean too much on body language because we prefer evidence. We prefer to uh, look at evidence. So therefore, I lean on the behavior panel because I would never fault them with their, you know, so many decades of experience in, in uh, you know, resistance to interrogation and body language experts, world renowned. If you, if you don't know them, go check them out. Um, they all stake their reputation that she's being deceitful. And so I'd stake mine on trusting theirs. Because uh, I work with people like them in the UK, um, ex-special forces and so on, and I trust what they say. I trust their their judgments. And so even from the body language aspect, she was being deceitful. But from the um, the evidential point of view, there's so many inconsistencies. There's so many contradictions. Um, you know, if I if I were to say to you um, that I injured my left knee, I would I would point to my left knee while I'm talking about the injury. Which, which is true. I injured it the other week. Um, oh. One example was when she was talking about the phone and she she gestured to, I think it was this side of the face when it was this side that was injured, for example. And um, there's, there's so many, so many different uh, contradictions yeah. in the evidence. And the jury just didn't believe her. And again, this is why I say we trust juries because they fill in the blanks. They 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 hear both sides because they are independent and they hear both sides of the arguments. And then they make they make a decision they decide who they think was more credible a large part of it i think was because she didn't take any accountability for anything she did whereas johnny depp said yeah yeah i did i did get i did get drunk i did smash up the furniture but but i didn't do that mm. whereas she that wouldn't behavior, take any i'm really of that. skeptical of all the behavior stuff and i and also i'm just saying it to be devil's advocate because i know they are really mm. popular the behavior panel uh, I know Eric Hunley comes on here and talks about that stuff as well, but the behavior mm. panel on here as well. But I mean, I mean, the Amanda Knox case, and I know everyone's going to shout at me in the in the thing, and you can, I don't mind everyone shouting at me, mm. but I don't think she did that. And I think the behavior, she did behave like she did, but I don't think she did it. Do you know what I mean? And is 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 mm. that where we can go a bit wrong with that stuff? It it can, um, and this is why. I think we look for patterns and it's all, it's the same with evidence. So I use the analogy with evidence as they do with behavior. Um, Cause I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't profess to be a behavior expert, although I, I know when someone's lying, put it that way. Um, but I wouldn't hold myself out as a behavior expert. I would hold myself out as being an a, expert looking at the evidence, of course. So the analogy is not just when you see it once, you know, if someone looks down when they say something, it doesn't mean they're lying to you. Whereas, looking down is associated with dishonesty but it's like playing poker when you've got a tell when there's a certain pattern that somebody does every time that they is that they are on their baseline as as they call it their normal response to something and then when they only deviate with certain types of questions and they deviate in ways that they expect to associate with dishonesty, and there's a whole pattern of them, a cluster of them happening together, they come to the conclusion. And it's the same with evidence. It's like if you if you just happen to mix up a few dates, but it's it's obvious that you're just not a date person. You get dates wrong all the time, like I do. I'm I'm hopeless at remembering birthdays, but 
page numbers i'm great with i and paragraph numbers you know i can literally tell you you know like you know paragraph five seven six of the lower court judgment and what you know bits of what it says and, and stuff like this whereas you know there's a pattern of behavior there's a pattern of evidence and when people present with that um pattern of inconsistency and things like that um it stand it, it just stands out and it, it becomes really clear so when you've seen it so many times you just know because the the pattern is there the pattern is established and that's why i trust the behavior panel it's not it's not because they say well aha there's a textbook that says when they do this this and this they're lying it's not as simple as that it's a whole cluster and decades of experience mm -hmm. and so the same is when we look at evidence and patterns of evidence and patterns of inconsistency damage to credibility and we look at all those as around collectively we can say their story doesn't add up story doesn't add up because that you know um they probably had you know half a dozen or a dozen photos in this trial some of which were repeats have been proven to be repeats or edited so on I injured my knee because I tripped over something that was negligently left there. I've probably got near, nearly a hundred photographs of my knee healing because it was quite a horrific injury. Probably, mm -hmm. probably nearly a hundred photos just over six weeks or so. And that's only because I'm suing them. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I shouldn't have been there. Um, if this was something so, so serious, and I remember I've been in cases where people have genuinely had their head caved in by their partner. Um, and there's you know blood everywhere and, and so on, uh, and you know we have to look through that evidence. There's a lot more. It, it someone like me who's doing these cases. This was not a credible story. It just there's yeah. the odd bruise here and there. It just it doesn't doesn't stack up. It really doesn't stack up. And photos. Yeah, it just lack lack of everything. I mean, she when you think of what she did to take photographs of, she took photographs of the floor, she took photographs of the table, she took photographs of the mirror, and but not much else. And she she recorded him smashing up the, the you know cabinets. Well, I'm going to say smashing up, hitting the cabinets, break you know throwing a bottle, uh, but but nothing else. And so you know I've been in cases um, where one party has given a you know a firm account of what's happened but then my clients produced an audio recording an hour and a half long showing everything that happened that evening and it's completely not it's completely the reverse and the, you know, the point is that people people can produce this evidence when they want to and i know it's an argument elaine made the argument you know what do we do now when people don't you know if you don't have evidence then you know no one's going to believe you well no that's not necessarily it but you you might not have the photographic evidence, but you know you will you will tell somebody or someone will see it, and even if they don't see it because you're hiding at home, someone will notice that you're missing. They'll come looking for you, or they'll no, they'll note that you didn't come into work, or you avoided you know you avoided your friends. There's a whole pattern that follows, and police reports. So another case. I mean, this is just these are just I've got so many examples, but. Another example was um, my my client's 
partner said that she had uh, severe brain injuries because he was uh, assaulting her and you know she was re receiving treatment from the hospital and so on and so forth there was no medical evidence whatsoever she'd never been scammed there was no documentary evidence there was no visit reports nothing and so we got to court and we just said well there is no evidence of this nothing yeah no photographs of injuries no medical reports no doctor's notes absolutely nothing and so obviously not proven because it's, yeah. well, it teaches you, doesn't it? If something happens, you take loads of photos of your knee. Mm. Um, I've got a good, a good little uh, comment here from Jackie Trailer yeah. saying Amanda Knox definitely had something to do with it. I was very close to Meredith's family. I know them well. Meredith being the, vic the English victim, I grew up with her sister Stephanie. That's quite remarkable, really. Um, and thank you for the comment. I, I always, I don't think she, I got quite friendly with Amanda myself, and she just seems so nice and smiley mm. and lovely. I know that's not proof of anything, but she hasn't exactly reoffended, so. I don't know. Well, there is that human element to it when you can, you 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 can sometimes judge someone by their their character alone. But when when you want to make a serious decision on something, you you do have to look at everything in the round. And so you you've either got evidence to support something or or you don't. And so not not having the evidence is is almost evidence itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just such a complicated one. That whole. Mm. Did you ever watch? Did you watch the Amanda Knox Netflix documentary? I didn't. I don't think. Oh, it's good. It's good because it gets you now. believing she did it, and then halfway yeah. through, it starts to unravel, and you're like, yeah. "Oh no, they've taken her for. She didn't. She wasn't involved in this at all." So yeah. Annie says, "I absolutely believe Amanda." There you go. So I, it's all. It's like fifty-fifty, really. Crazy. Yeah. And and that's that's a, a good way of putting it with the uh, the, the civil versus criminal because a civil trial is literally 50 50 and tip the balance 51 percent goes in one direction than the other so it's literally more likely than not whereas criminal there's no percentages i mean there's no percentage at, at all but um civil is more likely than not but the more serious the higher that should go but criminal is you've got to be sure because if we're going to punish somebody for it you've got to be sure yeah. about it yeah, she spent four years line. in prison. Yeah. Crazy. And so if you get, you know, you get someone out of prison after years and then say, oops, sorry about that. Well, no, sorry, you've taken out, from, you know, 4% of your life if you live to 100, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, horrible yeah. that. Yeah, really, it is. Really bad. But it was just, I mean, the DNA was inconsequential. It was just uh, not enough. Shouldn't have been, you know, charged in the first place or at least not convicted but going back to um amanda heard and johnny depp and all that so mm. i saw her recently just straight after the defamation case literally just mm. finished and then she did went in a magazine interview and said exactly the same stuff again do yeah. you see that like what's going to happen now yeah yeah i saw it so there's what could happen and what will or won't happen so what could happen um information uh, claims for what we call republication which is essentially saying what you said previously which is now found to be defamatory um or new or fresh publications if they are found to be they go further they go beyond what was originally said and i think if she does go with this book that's been touted i think that might well go beyond and there may well be fresh defamation but then what will or will not happen it depends how far it goes um 
I think JD's probably feels like he's done enough to clear his name. So he's probably, you know, he's not going to convince everybody, obviously, but I think he feels like he's convinced enough people that that's it now, you know, move on. Um, but it depends, it depends how far this, if there is a book, how far the book goes. And if oh it goes, God. if it goes to, because I can only imagine there's a lot more that didn't come into this trial because there's, you, you never get everything in a trial. Yeah. So if there's a, a significant amount more, then there could well be, um, you know, more defamation claims, even if she pseudonymizes him again, because she didn't mention him in the op-ed, but everybody knew who, who she was referring to. And the odd thing that I referred to as the, the truth within the truth, like one of her tells of telling the truth, oddly enough, was when she looked, um, I'd say the, the most, the most genuine when she sort of just smiles and answers a question, she looks the most genuine. And when she says this wasn't about him, now, the the point here is, is is this: it possibly wasn't about him because it didn't happen, so say the jury. But she was using the idea that it was him to lend her voice, as she put it, to this movement. So I I did a video on that, um, which you'll find on my channel. Uh, the the truth within the truth, you know, was this the truth from her? The real truth within what she's saying the truth is right but the point was it it didn't really matter because anyone reading it because the way defamation works is it if you reasonably infer the meaning from the article then it doesn't matter whether you're wrong you know so everyone knew it was about him or at least they reasonably believed it was and therefore it was defamatory it yeah. met the, met the threshold so I thought that was quite, is, quite quirky. The year is 2030, and we're, we're having another conversation about the, the fifth <laughs> yeah. court proceeding between them. Presumably yeah. that can never sort of cross over something like defamation into criminal proceedings, right? It can't be like she's done it. Every time she gets out, she does it again and says, he's a wife beater or whatever, and then goes to goes to prison or something. Or is it just always going to be monetary stuff? Well, I think that there are some, again, some parallel um sort of harassment and uh, malicious communication type offences in the States. We certainly have them here. Um, we've got the new offences of um, coercive control and stalking and various things that have come into the Protection of Harassment Act 1997, uh, which are malicious communications. And so if you're, if you're communicating something with the sole intent or being reckless as to some, you know, causing someone else alarm and distress and so on, then that could be, that be, could become an offense depending on how many times you do it. It's like if I, you know, if I wrote on Twitter once, you know, I don't like you, you know, well, who cares? It doesn't matter, does it? But if I did that every single day from a new account and, you know, that would get pretty tiring and that would be quite malicious. And so that becomes an offense. <laughs> so they, they can cross over into criminal territory. Fascinating. I don't know if Sean wants to come in and say hello. If if he does, this would be an opportune moment. And if mm -hmm. he is not ready, then he doesn't have to come and say hello. I'm always ready, brother. Thank you for joining us this evening. I've been listening, fascinated. And I really appreciate you weighing your words and not causing us any algorithmic strangulation. <laughs> was... I, un I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, my pleasure. No, happy to be here. And um, yeah, happy to sort of share some thoughts, as it were. Yeah, do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you and support you and, and subscribe? And we've got some of your links down there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So 
there's sort of two parts to me and my life really the um the law side and the rest of it so the law side is the black belt barrister which you'll see on screen here um that's the name of the channel the other one is black belt secrets which was originally martial arts but it's sort of now spanned into anything and everything that i feel like talking about so um try trying to spin some positivity into people's lives there and talk talk about various things so yeah i'd be very grateful if you uh, jump across and find both of them yeah huge thank you daniel is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion then to the viewers um yeah i, th I think in the round i would say a lot of people think that they are sure about something or a person or an offense or, or whatever uh, and what i'll say to you as, as a barrister who goes to court to fight these cases for and against i'll say you can't be sure because you haven't heard all the evidence properly uh, you you haven't heard it pro properly presented and defended and you've not been in the position to impartially and objectively come to that decision um, you, you might very strongly feel a certain way about a certain case a certain person a certain thing and that's fine because we all we, we do that as a defense mechanism everyone feels a certain way you know if you if you once had your car stolen or whatever and then you hear of something again you you you'll you, it'll, it'll quickly come back to you and you'll get really irritated by it but you know as a lawyer we have to sort of withdraw to the position of neutrality and approach it fresh every time and with the cases that i've seen and i've you know i'll, I'll leave with that, that example the one case everybody was so sure about that, that, that they did this because they'd said so and whatever, but they only said so because someone was threatening their wife and children. And so, you know, as harsh as that might sound, that's the reality. If you imagine now if someone literally walked into your house and threatened someone next to you, unless you admitted to doing something, and then everyone else believed you did it because you admitted it. Uh, and then you say, you know, why you said it, but, you know, you get the point. But I'll just leave you with that. You know, you, you can't be sure. So you, you need you need to hear it all before you make the decision. And that's the hard, one of the hardest bits about being a lawyer. And so someone, you know, some people say, how can you how can you defend X, Y, Z? Well, that's the reason, because you can't be sure. Yeah. And the only reason you get to a proper and just decision is if it's fought and defended properly, because if either side is corrupt, then it's a corrupt system. If if the defense barrister doesn't properly defend it because they think he's guilty or whatever, then it's a corrupt system. And they'll go to prison when they perhaps shouldn't have done for a long, you know, for a long time. And that's more, you know, devastating than uh, than letting someone go when they did do it. I think so. I'll leave you with that, and uh, thank you guys for your time. Fantastic. You have a great rest of your evening, wherever you are. Cheers, Daniel. I'm, re I'm re reading papers for tomorrow now. <laughs> <laughs> Life of a bad. So, no, thank, thanks for your time. I enjoyed it. Great fun. Oh, take care. Cheers. Take care. Bye, Bye now. Bye. Hey, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming back to the second part of Atwood Unleashed. Huge thank you to all the Patreons for supporting the show and what we're doing here and our mission. We're going to be bringing Andrew back shortly and our first guest. And just to go over it again briefly until we bring them in, we have got our guest coming up next is Scott Forbes, who's going to be discussing the Luke Mitchell case. 
And if you didn't see our original podcast with that, with, with Sandra uh, out of Scotland and how obvious it is that Luke Mitchell didn't do this. And we've spoke to people who are in prison as well. Uh, saying that Luke Mitchell walks general population with his head held high because the prisoners do believe he is innocent and he is maintaining his innocence. Then this is a massive miscarriage of justice. For um, then the next guest is Mark Gober, author of An End to Upside Down Thinking. <laughs> <laughs> which was awarded the IPPY for Best Science Book of 2019. He's also the author of An End to Upside Down Living. <laughs> I like these titles. An End to Upside Down Liberty. An End to Upside Down Contact. And he's the host of the podcast, Where Is My Mind? <laughs> Don't ask yourself, Where Is My Mind? <laughs> He serves on the board of the Institute of Noetic Sciences and the School of Wholeness and Enlightenment. He's going to be speaking about how consciousness and alien contact are related. And if you didn't see part one with Annika Lucas, time has gone fast, but I think it was posted about three years ago now. And I can be more explicit in what she's going to talk about, but she was trafficked by global elites, two global elites as a kid she's got a, a book out Quest for Love Memoir of a Child Sex Slave a harrowing story of abuse where Anika gets transported by a pedo ring or oh, Ash has just put a message up saying it was two years ago when we had Annika on good grief so much has happened we were flying high on reporting on Epstein two years ago it just seems like so much has happened since then losing the YouTube channel twice over that content getting shadow banned and building it all back up getting back on track and Maxwell getting sentenced finally so I've got a book out called Who Killed Epstein and I'm actually going to have another book out a part two and that's going to be coming out hopefully by Christmas and then I've got a three book series coming out beginning of next year it's going to feature my ten of the hardest hitting most extraordinary podcast guest stories each chapter is a different podcast guest alright so let's see if Andrew is in the people room. Let's bring him in right now. Have a look. And in recent weeks, which interviews have interested you the most? Let me know in the chat. The behavior panel one on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard went viral. Not as viral as the Jimmy Savile documentary. I think that got a hundred and something thousand more people watching it. And presently, The Curse of Skinwalker Ranch is getting about 10,000 views a day. and It's our most watched. And Andrew is going to take over in a second with Scott. Nice, certainly we will, mate. Let me see if he's in the people already. What, me? 
Scott's got to bring Scott in. Here he is. I'm going to toggle off. <clears throat> Get out of here, you. <laughs> toggle video. Let's not forget to toggle mic. I can hear you. How are you doing, Scott? How are you doing, Andrew? I'm, I'm good. Have you got any like headphones, so, just so my voice doesn't echo back on me? Just any... Oh, it might be all right. It might be all right. Where Where are you talking to us from today? Edinburgh. Lovely. What a beautiful city that is. Lovely, isn't it? Best. <laughs> it's really nice. Hey, tell me a bit about what you're on to talk about and your book and everything. Listen, in 2003, a young girl called Jodie Jones was brutally murdered. Her body was found in a woodland strip. She was uh, mutely stripped, beaten, strangled. Oh, Jesus. And um, 18 months later, a 14-year-old schoolboy, Luke Mitchell, was found guilty murder. Now, Luke Mitchell yeah. was the only suspect from an hour of finding the body. The police never investigated the murder. If I use the word, they made a murderer from a schoolboy. Uh, can I just, sorry, just ask you, is it, can, can we put your camera down so you're higher up, so we're sort of more aligned? Unless you're yeah, I'm completely not. naked down. I'm okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, and it may, like the angle it, so you're, because if you, ang is it, what is it? Is it your laptop? Yeah. That's it. There you go. Oh, but it's swinging back again, isn't it? Right. <laughs> um, sort of. It's sort of. It is. It's, it went down and it came back up again. Right. I'm just getting <laughs> shouted at by the production. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> They're all shouting so at I'm, me. Yeah, it's just like, if you just bring it down a bit, it, your head will be higher. Yeah, like that. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Stunning. Stunning. Right. So they'll cut that if they put that out on YouTube later or whatever. They'll they'll cut that bit out. But so this case, they never they never looked at anyone else, and they never had any evidence, and they just all. Oh, so what was the deal here? Was he the boyfriend? He, he was a boyfriend. Now, on on the night she was murdered, allegedly at quarter past five. She was going to meet him. Now, she, they, she doesn't meet him. Uh, and, and, the, and the Jones family phoned the boy. Uh, she asked him where she is. Say half ten at night. And he goes looking for the girl with his Alsatian dog, which is, by the way, highly trained. So he goes looking for her. He meets her family, some family members, and they ask him to go back down their path. Now, they tell the Alsatian dog, I'm Jodie, and, and, and she reacts to a part of the wall. So he climbs over and he finds a mutilated girlfriend. So the whole sex party, I use that word very lightly, they, they all explain in the first statement that the dog acted in the way he explained. Five, six, seven, eight, Statements later, the dog never acted like that, and he walked directly to the body. And I'm talking six, seven, eight statements. Now, 
two days into the investigation, Lorraine Borders police were telling everyone in the media no other suspect. There is, uh, they weren't looking for anyone. Um, that's it. The, the forensics come back, I think, 14 days later. Nothing. No blood, no semen. The forensic. That's it. An hour after they found him, they took Luke Mitchell's hair samples, residue under his nails, which was dirty. The hair wasn't washed. They photographed his naked body. He had no scratches, no blood, no semen. Nothing. 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 So, the police arrived at the scene. They seen a young boy, 14. He was a goth. He was a goth. Sweeter boy than one. And uh, he's clapping his dog. And the, the Jones family are all standing, cuddling each other. And he's clapping his dog. And he's telling his mum, F off. Stop phoning me, stop phoning they look over and they ask the police, they ask, who's that boy? He found the body. So the, the police believe he's the only person that found the body. And they also believe that he had left Jody's home five o'clock, which was all wrong. So they just made him number one suspect and they done nothing. They never interviewed anybody. They never treated any suspects. Uh, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Look, man, can I go on? The, the, the police... Then go to the crime scene where they find the body. Uh, they trample over it. They destroy the whole crime scene. In order to get better photographs, they put Jody on a big sheet of polythene and they drag her across the crime scene to get better light so they can click. Generally, you're going to think, oh, this is wrong. This is. Now, then they send the pathologist. I think it was in 3.45 in the morning. And he was too fat and too uh, sore back to climb over a V. So instead of walking 200 yards this way or 200 yards that way, we can access the locus between climbing walls. She just went home. Now, left the body out all night. I'm on your face. I'm looking at your face and then how can police do this? Listen, they trampled over the crime scene. They destroyed it. They left the body out all night in the rain. They never questioned any suspects. Now, they had five or six suspects. Um, one I took to the police personally, took to the police in a car two days after the murder. They questioned them after Luke Mitchell was guilty. After they'd been in court, they, they then went question them. They never asked him where he was, where he was been. He had big scratches on his face. Hmm. Um, two suspects. Gordon Dickey and John Ferris were at the locus at the very time she was being murdered. They never, they never treated them as suspect. One of them cut his hair, shaved his own hair. They burnt a moped, they burnt clothes. Oh, they, listen, they acted like criminals. They had leather gloves on at 10 o'clock at night. Now, the police treated them like um, witnesses against Mitchell rather than oh. suspect. Does that make sense? Yeah. They were they, I said he was 14, these boys were 18, 19. And uh, listen, by the time we go to court, uh, the media had spent 15 months telling the whole public that the boy was a beast, having sexual relationships with his mother. He, oh, he was evil, he was a devil worshipper. By the time he walked into court, he was guilty. Now, 17 years later, uh, Ah, listen, everybody's still asking questions that should have been answered 
17 years ago. Trial by media. Yes, yes. And, and, and they've done it purposely. After the forensic examinations found Luke innocent, that's true, eh? I said, anybody's got idea of crime. No blood, no semen out here. And, and the, the wee girl was killed in a physical fight. Whoever killed her, murdered her, beat her, beat her black and blue, pulled her with her hair, punched her, kicked her, dragged her along the ground, stripped her or took her clothes off, tied her up, then mutilated her with her large grave, and not a, not a trace against this boy. How, how can that be? Um, it's just wrong. Wow. So, Aye, wow, wow, listen. Did he not, did he not, and I know this is not the ultimate evidence at all, but did he not not admit to, to doing, to, to having killed her? Ah, listen, in, in, in a young offender's institution, have you ever been in prison? No. Okay. Um, young offender's institution, Coleman, is the most violent place that you can ever imagine. More, more violent than an adult prison. Wow. Now, some violent people put them in a corner, told them, you fucking confess. And then he, and I said, and, and apart from that, now listen, I was a lawyer in 210, so I've read these prison records. There is no confession. He's never took any courses for violence. He's never admitted guilt. He's 17 years in jail. Now he's now, and he, 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 I forget the jail he's in, I don't want to see it. But he was in Shorts Prison. In Scotland, it's the most violent prison right now. Never once did they get treated badly. Prisoners, heavy gangsters, prisoners, now stick up for the boy. Because he'd been in prison with him for 17 years, and they all believe he's innocent. Now, that's a, that's quite remarkable. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I, I see there is a bit of a changing tide, isn't there, of public opinion a little uh, I bit so. now. I hope so. Uh, yeah. I hope so. What got you at first interested in this story? Well, listen, just very quickly. I went to a college called New Battle Abbey. It's a, an adult education centre. Residential. You know, you go and live there and you study and, and you get access to university. And while I was there, I met a young boy called Mark Kane. A recovering heroin addict. Covered in scars with self-abuse. Uh, listen, he's a nice, nice lad in his own way. But he's very disturbed. Now, the day after they did the wee girl's murder, he came to my house in Leifton, Edinburgh. Big scratches on his face. And I asked him, what happened? He had been in the woods. He was living 400 yards, 500 yards away from the murder. He couldn't tell me. Anything. So I asked him again, and he still couldn't tell me. So he left my house. And next again, they are picked him, and I took him to the police. I took him. I put him in a car, I didn't put him in bodily, but I, I persuaded him for a better word. And I take him to Dalkeith Police Station and he goes in. He gives his name and his details. And, and the crime files tell you now Mark Kane had to be traced and spoken to. They never done it until after Luke Mitchell was convicted. Yes, now, he had a history, talks on animals, burning them alive, cutting them, and he's in the woods. He's, He's on methadone, speed, mark, oh, listen. It's some of the injuries on Jodie's. So I was at university, 2005, Mark Kane come to university. And I asked him, did you ever get an interview? No. 
And we go a walk one day and he, and, he, and he tells me things that were very concerning. Right? Well, he wasn't saying he killed her, but what he says is he couldn't remember where he was, but he's in that area. He's got scratches, he can't remember how he got them. He thinks he was fighting. He also thinks he could have been the person on a road that two witnesses against Luke Mitchell could have been him. Now, they're quite similar looking. Last I'm on a long walk. Listen, this boy's in trouble. He accepted the, the conviction was wrong. And he and I asked him, listen, you have to speak, you have to speak up. And he says, fuck Luke Mitchell. And I told him, no, no, no. Um, well, a friendship, I wasn't a friendship. He had been at college with me for over a year. I looked after him as a younger boy, if you want. And I said, Jody Jones, Jody Jones was butcher. Listen, one of the most horrific things in Scotland. And I was put in a horrible situation. But I spoke it. Right. Then, 2010, I done postgrad in law and become a solicitor, a trainee solicitor. And, uh, Luke Mitchell became my first client. Now, I got access to the case in 2006 because I was concerned. I go to my law department that I'm studying with, and, and the, the, the late Bill Stewart, from point days, book up here, a, 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 a law Stewart. I went to Bill Stewart and explained to him, and, uh, and then he encouraged me. I thought, look at this, look at that, look at this. And, uh, and I never stopped. So this is two, oh, 16, 17 years I've been involved in the case. Is he still your client? Yeah, no, listen, he's not a lawyer at the time. He, 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 he speaks to Sandraline, Dr. Sandraline, she's a criminologist. And, and whatever Sandraline feeds me and I feed for the two years of. And we're now, we're now looking, I'll say, um, another legal team. We've got a real top QC in Scotland who's very interested in this. Everybody in Scotland, QCs, lawyers, judges, uh, forensics, scientists, we all know this is wrong. Now, it's very difficult to. In law, you need fresh evidence that was not available at the time. Does that make sense? It's law case. People think, oh, he's innocent. The court doesn't accept her. Thank you. Birmingham 6, Guildford 4. I worked with Paddy Hill in Glasgow. And I think 16 years they knew that man was innocent, but they couldn't free him. You need fresh evidence, or you need somebody to come forward and confess him. And it's never happened. Now, oh. no saying that it's going to happen now. And there's hope. There's a wee bit of hope. The people up here are starting to wake up to it. Interesting. Well, there was that Tory MP, wasn't there? But then she sort of then retracted what she'd said. Yeah. Listen, she got she got bullied. Yeah. Can I can I have a wee laugh here? Go on. Last week on Twitter, the, the journalist that bullied her. Jane Hamill put a public statement out about me. Scott Forbes is smearing a hack journalist to the biggest tabloid in Scotland. Now, and I had been doing since 2001 because I was questioning her right now. The stuff she writes in tabloids, newspapers in Scotland is horrible. Listen. Now, the tabloid journalist, I, I use the word journalist very lightly, please listen. They've been smearing the telling lies. Just Here's a classic angle. A wee girl's found naked 
I'm back for your socks. Somebody had taken their socks off. The socks had fallen off. And she getting dragged along the ground and they put the socks back on. So the sexual motivation somewhere. The first 15 days, all the police are saying, or the murderer was sexually embarrassed. Now, Jane Hamill's writing in the paper, eh, the condom was of no relevance. 50 metres away from your wee girl's body, fish, fish, semen inside the coffin, and they didn't find out who the person was for three years. And she's telling the Scottish public it's of no interest. Wow. They, they, listen, I'm going to show you again. In the same article, after Channel 5 murdered in a small village, you tell the Scottish public the sperm in this condom means nothing. And they Luke Mitchell's missing knife is implying it's a murder weapon. It's like this in my mother's life. 40 millimeter blade. She's mm -hmm. virtually the cap, eh? the best of you the move. She's this. It's been done with a, a machete or a bit of And they're telling the Scottish public that Scottish Luke Mitchell knife, a wee pen knife like that, done the murder. Absolutely embarrassing. Absolutely amazing. And they fed the public list for day one. Wow. Wow. So that's the newfound the newfound knife. Yeah, that? listen, here's the knife. I finished my book oh, months ago. Months. And, then, and I got a phone call. Blah, blah, blah. I'm buying a knife. A large hunk. So you go and search it. And uh, <laughs> my. Man, there's a bowie knife. I'm going to show you some This is a little Gurkha's knife, so I'm not going to. Uh, and it was found in a skip 800 meters away from where the Uyghur was found. Now, it's that purposely uh, identified. The person that finds it looks it in the skip and he Googles it. And the bowie knife is a special knife, 110 pounds back in 2003. And it's a big, large, heavy knife. The forensic team come, they empty the skit, they, they can't find the tip, the tip of, of this knife's book. Now, a very credible witness tells me the, the description of the knife, how it was found, very interesting. It was found in a farm, farm outhouses that are used as garages, mechanics, places, and it's in a skit. Now, he, he describes the knife to me perfectly, very credible. Three of the suspects in this case use the garage. Now, if you drive up and down this road, you cannot see the garages to the main road. It's secluded. It's an old, an old farmhouse road has been turned into space shops and mechanics. Now, that same garage, these suspects use. Now, 15 minutes or 20 minutes after the wee girl's murder, a man is seen running, this is near the, the witness statement, like a bat away hill from the direction where she was killed, across the main road, nearly gets run over, and he's running diagonally towards these farmhouses. The man was never chased. Now, I'm not saying he run there and dumped the knife, but it's very possible. Mm. Now, I never found him, but when we went through the records to find this knife, the knife isn't there. Now, they've turned, they've turned a bowie knife, um, very descriptive, £110 worth to That's a lot of money for a knife. Please Google bowie knives. No, that's a lot of money. Yeah. The man who found it can describe it perfectly. He just can't remember the, the make of the knife. You can tell me it's a, oh, beautiful, 
and it's, it's, it's lovely, mate. And I say, but the police are now saying it's a knife that used to take windows out of the car. And they broke the tip and they dismissed it. Oh, listen, they were all looking at me like, what was that? Why would you use a knife to take a window out of a scrap car in? But what gets more interesting, that boy was running towards you. The, 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 the three main suspects in this all work at the garages. Now, that was never... And one of the garages, there's four or five in them. One garage got threatened. The police threatened to close the garage if they didn't divulge who told them about Jody's injuries. The police photographer, who had destroyed the crime scene, walking around, taking photographs, pulling bodies, chopping trees, didn't get better lights, like Keystone Cops. She's having an affair with a man in a garage in the jersey, and she's telling all the mechanics all the, all the injuries on Jody's body. So they're threatening to close these garages if they don't put it in real spoke. They never ever, they never followed it up or chased it or nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing. It sounds like it sounds like you've got quite a few different suspects. It could be. Is there one in particular where you're like, "This is this Listen, is who did it"? There's five suspects, five yeah. six. There's one called Robert Green. He's, he's a very serious convicted rapist. Eight hundred yards away, wasn't even questioned. No, at the time we had Jody's murdered, there's two men called Gordon Dickey and uh, John Ferris. They go directly to there, allegedly where she was killed. Ten minutes later, they leave the scene. So they go back to their father's house, and the father then goes directly to where she found with nine spaniel dogs, and he says he never seen the body fifteen meters away. If anybody knows working dogs, come on, come on, that's just right, right. These three, in my opinion, the two boys, the, the, the Ferris and Dippy, they went to look for their best pal, number one suspect, Jody's brother Joseph. Now, whether what happened. Joseph Jones, jo Jody's brother, and, and I feel sorry because the family's lost a, a, a daughter. Jody's brother was sectioned five weeks before Jody was murdered. He was being forcibly injected with the most psychotic drugs that the law permits. Think of that. Living day sitting on a psychiatric ward getting banned in the prison, we called it the legactal shuffle. You know what I mean? I'm sitting like that. They, they release him, they tell you in the records they don't want him to go back to his home because Jody's mum is psychotic. And when he goes back to his mother's home, the mother encourages him to smoke harsh, which makes him paranoid and psychotic, and he doesn't take his medication. Now, on a day, a couple of days prior to Jody being murdered, the mother's telling everybody he's having medical breakthroughs. You can't leave the house, by the way, unless he wears a rucksack. We are believed like that in the rucksack. He's seen falling up on the day of the murder and he was never treated as a suspect. He sectioned himself five days after the murder and then they interview him. But he's a vulnerable witness when they interview him. He's sitting with his mother and he's sitting like this. He's no smoking hash now because the police are there. So they're seeing a guy sitting like this and the mother's asking questions. Everybody that watches this case or reads this case. They put him number one, and Mark Kane, the boy I took to the police, number two. Interesting. And, and none of them will ever interview as, as suspects. Never, never. And you, you say they'll never interview. I mean, do you have any hope for diff any change in the future? What what happens now? <clears throat> oh, listen, that's a, <laughs> I've got a very good 
top QC in Scotland. I don't want to use his name because he's come come to me personally and, and offer the pro bono. If you can't get legal aid, you'll work for pro bono. And that tells you something. Else. And um, but, but we've got hope through DNA. Uh, but, but people are going to write a joint letter and ask them to re-examine the forensics. Now, there is a belief if they can be re-examined that they will know the killer. There's a, there's, there's, I don't want to say because I, and I want to tell you, but I'm dying to tell you, you know, but there's, um, there's samples that we think can prove who the killer is. Now that's a hope. Um, whatever. Listen, there's other reasons. Uh, like, there's other, go to court and, and argue that the lawyer's never done a good job. The Anderson appeal, it's very difficult. Very difficult. Um, or fresh evidence. See the medical records for Jody's brother, they were never put before court. Now, that could be fresh evidence, although they were in the hands of the solicitor, but the solicitor never read them. Now, they're just awesome. Now, when you read this case, genuinely, and, and by the way, I've done a few, I worked for Paddy Hill, Birmingham City, this car is justice, I've looked at cases, and when you walk away, you've always got to read them. No in this case. No in this wow. case. There's nothing. I know that sounds silly. People look at you and say, sure. But there's no evidence. And, and the stuff that they made up, the circumstantial, boy, we see here, we see here, we see here, it's all nonsense. And, and, and people who could contradict it or fight against it were smeared. Do you know what they done to me, Andy? I'll just tell you, just quick if you don't mind. Mm. I took a boy to a police station. I think I was doing good. Three girls fucking decapitated and chopped up, great man, whatever. The next thing I was in the paper, oh, I scored four so I get fifty thousand pounds. So this boy's going to admit to murder. We're going to sell his story to the paper, get fifty thousand and share it. Now that's been it's weird. Do you know? Listen, they, they interviewed people after Luke was convicted, and the only questions they were asking was about me. Yeah. I scored four straight marks in the police. One says, I didn't like him. He didn't like feminist poetry. What's feminist poetry got to do with a murder of a girl? That's, as soon as I read that in the crime, oh, listen. Right, metal, metal, listen. They, 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 there is not a shred of evidence. I can't emphasize enough. Even the circumstantial evidence, oh, it's just nonsense, nonsense. Nonsense. But it's but it's it, sounding like there's there is some hope. That's what Ray J is asking in, uh, the, in the chat. And did you know the biggest hope yourself, John Atwood, um, Pierce Street tweets, uh, Sonia Pilton, to get the message. The, the media convicted that wee boy, and the media could free him. It's media pressure has to be yeah. put. That's in my opinion. That's the only way this can be done. Yeah, well, we'll get this, you know, hopefully out there. I don't, I don't know all the, all the behind the, you know, what they do on Sean's channel, but get it all out there, get people hearing it, and all, all of that. Hey, tell me, where can people get your, your book and all of that jazz and learn more about? Uh, it? Listen, do you know, I finished, I finished my book twice. And then the knife come. Then I got a phone call. I must, I have to watch what I see here. People from the jury. We're only happy about the verdict. All these years later, they now realise they were maybe pressured by the media 
or different things, and they want to speak out. Now, you know, contempt you go, that would give me a 10. That would give me 10 years in jail. No, so I had to go away and get serious, serious advice. But listen, I'm a lawyer, I can go and pick up law books and read conspiracy and attempt to court, but what, what can you do? So then it took an army well, now other evidence has come. So it's ready. It's in Canada, a two feeder. And um, she asked me the other day, the next few days. So I'm hoping the next few days I'll put up an Amazon. And uh, Luke Mitchell's got a grassroots support. Or like 25,000 signatures. Wow. 25,000 people. Yes, yeah, so that was a wow. petition. A petition, 25,000 people. Hmm. So listen, they'll share my book. That's the grassroots. Um, out with grassroots, there's a couple of forensic scientists who want to write to certain people and ask them to get access. There's two QCs, generally two top QCs in Scotland, and it'd be unfair to name them. That's no nice. Um, one, one male, one female, who are very happy to do any work in this, any work in this case. That's very unusual. That's people who they know tell you, oh, listen, this was wrong, do you know? So yeah. what, what do they do? The petition is very powerful. And the media, the me and some in the media are, are coming down. Wow. One, one tabloid, the Sun, right? They're more favourable to more Mitchell. The Daily Record, which is the, the, the Scottish version of the Mirror, they, uh, they stuck by Mitchell's a beast because of Jane Hamilton, the crime reporter. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, they've stuck by that story. They have to defend their position. Wait till Luke Mitchell gets free and they, they then get found out what they've done to that boy. And it's yeah. a school boy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I'm looking at the petition now, and they need to get to 25,000. It says it's got nearly 25,000. So there's a link on the side if anyone wants to go and check that out. Scott, I'm going to have to let you go because we've got oh, no, our next guest. Uh -huh. You've been perfect. brilliant. Thank you. Any any last uh, words? Ah, uh, listen. Can, can I ask John Ferris, please tell the truth. Gordon Dickey, please tell the truth. David Dickey, please tell the truth. That's that's what that's what we asked for. You heard. It. Thank you so much, Scott. Well, Andy, uh, thank you very much. Evening up in lovely Edinburgh. Um, Sean will probably boot you off of this now. There, you, well, there you go. He's done that, and that was fascinating. I didn't know about that. I know it's a case that Sean uh, takes to his heart. So I think I can hear him now. Can I hear yeah, you? It's, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. Poor Luke Mitchell. Let's just snatch the boyfriend. Because that's who it usually is. Often is, isn't it? But it's not, not pick someone. I was saying before, wasn't I? You know, you don't. I'd rather someone was out who could. You know what I was saying? Than 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 arrested when they did, unless they were a threat to society, of course. Why sacrifice all those innocent people? Exactly. There's not enough evidence. You can't put someone away. You just can't. You got to be so sure before doing that to a human life. That's what I think. You've got to satisfy the public and just get the easiest sounding person. Yeah. No, it's Otherwise not. Otherwise, the public would lose faith in law enforcement if they weren't <sighs> the perpetrator. Yeah. He's a good talker, isn't he? Definitely, yes. And I love the Scottish accent. Yeah. Do you ever watch Limmy? Limmy? Yes, yeah, because Scottish comedian. He's got a, he does a sort of similar accent. 
No, but the last Scottish comedian I watched was Billy Connolly. I knew, you'd, you know? <laughs> I knew I knew you'd say that. But Limmy's Limmy's got to be oh, 45, 50 odd now. Was he? Um, yeah, he was great. He, he had a look him up while I'm doing the next one. Look up Limmy comedy. Uh, and he does he does it all with that accent. Uh, Ray J says you would think so, Andrew, right? Limmy Glasgow. No, I know, but he does do that sort of. There's there are certain um, inflections that he shares, and I think they're specific to certain characters that Limmy does, and also certain things that Scott says. I think. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah. I'd like to get Limmy on on Atwood Unleashed at some point. Actually, he'd be great. But we need we need Sean to have a look at him. I reckon. Yeah, send me some links. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, Ray J's a fan, aren't you, Ray J? I think we should be. He's great. He's very funny, Limmy. So we've been trying to connect to Mark for a couple of minutes now, and it might be that the Wi-Fi is not oh, strong no. enough to bring him in. Not another one of those. Yep. We need, you know. Need Wi-Fi working better in the world. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> That's my two pence. So Ash has just messaged him. Mm, and, check uh, his Wi-Fi. Got to do internet speed test before we bring these people on, so we can see. I'm gonna order my if food, mate. Speed. What are you gonna get, Andrew? Uh, well, let me look. because uh, I had something saved before. I'm getting a This Isn't Chicken wrap uh, with oregano or oregano fries and a Coca-Cola Zero. It's um, Greek. It's from a Greek place um, in Bristol. So nice. check out. Should be way too expensive. For you, but there you go. That's life now. To look at a Raise from Sean, or just all food on on Sean? Come on, just work. Oh, it's gone through, and that'll be arriving at ten past nine, just in time for the end of Sweet. of this. If he, if we can get him on, yeah. Imagine if he comes early. <laughs> Excuse me, Sean. What are you gonna do? Uh, sorry, I thought you were doing a euphemism. Um, the guy, they know, well, they don't, they rarely come early, do they? And I would just have to wait here. Yeah, sometimes I'm on Deliveroo and it says like 9.50 and he's there at 9.30. Well, if that happens, I'll have to rush, get up, pick up the phone and just go and buzz him in and say, can you just leave it downstairs? And then he'll, they'll leave it downstairs and then I'll rush back in here and say, continue, please. Oh, you're here, good sir. How are you doing, Mark? Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, good. Okay. I, I thought that wasn't going to work, but it has indeed worked. So tell me a little bit about your background and consciousness and all, you know, your Wall Street background, all that stuff. Sure. Well, now I've written several books on the topic of consciousness, but before that, my career had nothing to do with it. So um, my, for undergrad, I went to Princeton, wasn't thinking about consciousness back then. And like many of my classmates, I went into investment banking. So I graduated in 2008, right during the financial crisis, and I was working in New York at UBS, one of the big banks, wasn't sleeping, and I knew it wasn't for me, but I just stuck with it until 2010. 
I left and joined uh, a Silicon Valley strategy firm advising technology companies where I ended up spending 10 years, became a partner at the firm eventually. Wow. Uh, but my whole journey related to consciousness and my books started in 2016 while I was working in the Bay Area. Wow. And, okay. Oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was um, so, yeah, I was just listening to podcasts, actually. Um, I wasn't looking for anything new in particular. I was listening to business and health shows. And then I came across subjects related to, you know, like, why do we exist? Is there a, a, another dimension to reality that we don't see with our eyes? And long story short, I was hooked. And I all I wanted to do when I wasn't in the office was research those topics. So um, that's the short story and ended up since then, I've written four books uh, related to those subjects and produced a podcast series where I've interviewed many of the scientists that I've researched. Wow, that's pretty cool. So my initial understanding of consciousness is a uh, it's a two second window of being conscious. I guess I shouldn't use the word consciousness in, in the definition of consciousness, but you get these two second windows and you sort of end up comparing them to two seconds before and two seconds after. I think you, are you talking about a different level of, of consciousness to what I'm thinking of? I'm, I'm looking at it from the most basic level of our sense of having an experience. It's difficult to define because we can't touch it. Most things in the physical world, we can point to it, but consciousness is this aspect of awareness that's subjective and we all have it. It's what, what allows us to have thoughts it's what allows us to experience life. And what I explored, especially in my first book, but then in the later books, evaluate this as well, is where does that come from? And I was shocked to learn that science doesn't understand it. Like we know the mm -hmm. brain is related to it because we know from neuroscience that let's say you affect the part of the brain that has to do with vision, then the person yeah. will have a corresponding change in, their, in the way they see the world so that you can see this correlation. But what the scientists don't know is whether it's causal, whether the brain's creating it, or whether there's a different relationship. So I'll give an analogy to simplify this. There's a philosopher named Bernardo Castrup who says, imagine you have a fire and there are firefighters that come. You have a larger fire, there are more firefighters that show up. There's a strong correlation between the size of the fire and the number of firefighters that show up. And then he asks, should we say that the firefighters caused the fire? Hmm. Right. Okay, there's, yeah. an, there, there's another way to look at the relationship. So ultimately, where I land, it, you're right, it's not causal, the brain consciousness relationship, that the brain is actually more like a receiver or a filtering mechanism. And so that was a life changing concept for me. Wow. So what does that what does that mean then? So we're getting transmissions from somewhere else that gives us consciousness and the brain's just receiving it. Right. Right. So we're a vessel rather than. We're not the source of life. We're the experiencer of life is a way of thinking mm. about it. And our identity is not our body, which is what I used to think. Our identity is actually our consciousness that experiences the world through the body. That's the way right. I look at it. And in my books explore the evidence for that. But I had never even heard that concept before and realized once I started researching, there were tons of scientists that have been exploring this for a long time. Wow. Okay. So then, you know, what my next question is, if we're the receiver who and what is transmitting? Well, that is, that's the big question. So I'll answer it in two ways. One is at the, the highest level of reality, the way I look at it, going back to this philosopher, Castrup, he says that all reality could be likened to a stream of water where water represents consciousness. And we're like individual whirlpools within that stream. So at some level, we're all the same, even though we appear to be different. So it's not coming from an external source at one level. But at another level, there is a me and there's a you. There's a separation between the, the whirlpools. And that's, I think, where your question's headed. Is there, are there other intelligences that are influencing our thoughts? 
And the more I look at this, the more I think that is very possible. And um, there's even evidence, like when I was researching initially, I was surprised to learn that like the U.S. government has run psychic spying programs. There are declassified documents that confirm this is real, which points to this idea that consciousness can be uh, outside of the brain and that you can receive images effectively or perceptions that are outside of the body. Mm. It raises all sorts of questions. Was this, is this related to the men who stare at goats? Yeah, I, mean, I often ask that. Generally, yes. I think the movie fictionalizes it a bit, but um, like for my podcast, Where Is My Mind? I interviewed Russell Targ, who was one of the leaders of the program in the 1970s. And they ran the program through the early 90s. It probably still exists now. It's just declass. It's probably classified. But that's pretty significant. If they spent over $20 million over yeah. you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, there must have been something there. Have you, you should get John Ronson on the podcast. Have you, I had him on, on mine. He's great. I haven't spoken with him. Ah, uh, he wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats. But I think his overall impression is that it was sort of a, a bit of a, it didn't really work. I mean, they put all this money into it and they wanted people to be able to like run through walls and do psychic stuff and they weren't able to prove that any of it worked in the end. Yeah, well, that's what Wikipedia says. And there's ah. lots of evidence suggesting that it actually has worked. And these, these really? effects are not 100%. You know, sometimes people will be wrong. But the question is whether they happen beyond what chance would predict and I'll, I'll give you a quotation, one of my favorites from the 2016 president of the American Statistical Association, Dr. Jessica Utz, who's looked at the scientific evidence, not just the U.S. government's program, but other studies. And she says, using the standards applied to any other area of science, it is concluded that psychic functioning has been well established. That's what she said in 1995, based on the studies available. And mm. there have been many more since then, including other peer-reviewed papers. Um, and also back to the U.S. government's studies, um, with their, their program where they were actually using this psychic spying, F former President Jimmy Carter confirmed that remote viewers were used to find a downed Russian bomber that was lost in an African jungle, and the radar systems couldn't pick it up. So they used these psychics and they were able to find it, which is pretty miraculous. But also there are declassified documents that say very explicitly, this is a direct quote, remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Implications are revolutionary. So that's what their wow. document says. Well, there you go. I didn't. I didn't know that. So this is that. So so who are these? We don't know. I guess the beings. But then who's controlling their brains? Or and, and why are they so interested? Are these just things we have to speculate on for now? We speculate, and this is what I've been trying to get to. My most recent book, An End to Upside Down Contact, looks at this notion of other intelligences that are out there, some of which might be physical and others might be more metaphysical. We don't actually see them or we only see them sometimes. You ask a great question, Andrew, like what, why, why are they, why do they care about us and where are they getting their information from? I mean, my view is that everyone is connected to this source consciousness. So at some level, it's the same source. But in the same way that there's a me and a you, there could be a me and a you and an alien being in another dimension. It's just a different type of a whirlpool that's out there. And, and just like in this world where we have beings that want to help the world, we also have beings that are malicious and want to enslave people or violate people. There seems to be that spectrum in these dimensions as well. So the intent of these beings probably varies depending on who it is. Oh my God! What's the? I'm imagining them all like different alien races battling over the remote control that controls our heads uh, and makes us do good or bad things. I think there's an element of that, and then there's an element of our own individual choice of what we want to tap into. Do we want to oh tap God. into the benevolence or or not? And that intention probably has an effect. 
Interesting. Why did you look at near-death experiences in your investigation of contact? Well, typically when people use the term contact, they think aliens. Like in Hollywood, that's usually what we hear. And that's part of what I looked at in my new book. But since I started from the consciousness area several years ago, when I looked at that, I was looking at phenomena where the brain is either damaged or completely off. And yet people are having a lucid experience. So this points to the idea that the brain's not the creator of consciousness. And in these experiences, people encounter other beings sometimes. So back to the near-death experience, like how do we know this is not just a hallucination? Because if you just Google it, you'll find many articles saying that this is a hallucination caused by a dying brain. And a near-death experience is a case where a person's body is in some kind of major trauma. So let's say cardiac arrest, clinical death, brain stops functioning, there's no blood flow. Some people might say there's a tiny bit of residual functioning, but many of the doctors will say, look, there's not enough here for people to have a complex memory or anything. And the person comes back. And in many cases, there are apparently millions of these cases. People will say things like, I was in another dimension or I was hovering over my body. I saw what the surgeon was doing. They see things and then they come back in their body and they tell the doctor and they tell family members. And sometimes those things are validated as accurate. Uh, which is pretty powerful because the, in those cases, it means it's not a hallucination. Right. Sorry, my camera popped off for a second there. Well, it does that from okay. time to time, which is pretty annoying. That's that's pretty mad. That the So do you believe most near-death experiences then or, or, or some people? Because I guess you could have some sort of imagination once you've sort of woken up or do you know what I mean? Yes. So what they've done, because you ask a great question, and these are the typical questions oh, yeah. of, of a, someone who's skeptical of this. What they've done in the most compelling cases, and it's hard to get this data, is to timestamp the perception. So the person will say, I was above my body. I saw X, Y, and Z happen. And sometimes they can correlate that to know what was happening to the person's body at that time. And they can say, look, you were dead. There should not have been any cognition, mm. let alone a cognition from the vantage point outside your body. And in those cases, the people got it right. So there's a book called The Self Does Not Die that documents over 100 of these cases. They're called veridical out-of-body experiences, meaning what they perceived outside their body was verified as accurate. And when I talked, like for my podcast, I interviewed Dr. Bruce Grayson from the University of Virginia the, at the Division of Perceptual Studies. Lots of well-regarded scientists. They say the only way we can think of that, about how this is possible is we have to reconceptualize consciousness in the brain. And maybe the brain is not producing consciousness and consciousness is actually liberated somehow when the brain is turned off. Whoa, that's really interesting. I mean, look, I, 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 you're right that I am. I suppose I'm a skeptic going into this, but not a rude or or dismissive no. one. Just one who wants to understand uh, and and learn. And that's the only way I think to learn stuff. And that's really, I, I know that the brain is definitely way more complicated than we understand. So there's, who knows what's what's going on? Um, let's move on to alien abductions, and and you know, are they good or bad for humanity i didn't know they were even happening so again i'm coming in with, as a bit of a skeptic but yeah you know it's all it's all conversations to be had isn't it yeah well i appreciate you even being willing to entertain this stuff because i certainly wasn't not too long ago um but so you know my first few books i wasn't talking about aliens per se i was talking about near-death experiences and people would encounter sometimes in this other state they would say i encountered a being of light who was giving me guidance. And this is a being that I felt like I knew for a long time, or they encountered deceased relatives. They're not saying typically in these cases, they saw like a gray alien that you see in the movies. So 
uh, in these alien abduction cases, it seems to be somewhat different, but we're also dealing with intelligent beings. Um, mm -hmm. And what really grabbed my attention in this area was that there's a researcher named John Mack, the former head of psychiatry at Harvard, Pulitzer oh. Prize winning author who studied alien abductions, wrote two books about it. He passed away in 2004. And his conclusion as a psychiatrist was after talking to these people that claimed they were abducted by aliens, that they were not making it up, that something very real was happening to them. So I said, okay, I've got to look at this because he was investigated by Harvard. There's a great biography by Ralph Blumenthal, New York Times reporter, all about John Mack's life. Uh, and Harvard eventually just said, okay, you can continue with this. But of course, they weren't happy with one of their lead professors looking at alien abductions. So in short, what happens in the alien abduction across, across many different cases, people report something very similar. They are taken aboard some kind of a craft, and typically they have procedures done on them. And as crazy as this sounds, they all seem, many of them talk about a hybridization program where sperm and eggs are taken. And sometimes there is an insemination in the woman um, and they talk about seeing hybrid beings aboard the craft. And sometimes there are even phantom pregnancies where women don't even remember these cases often. So there's like a memory wiping in the process that is reported missing time, which is totally bizarre, but it's reported. And sometimes in these phantom pregnancies, like I, I mentioned the case of one woman who is a lesbian and she became pregnant and she, uh, her girlfriend was very suspicious. And she said, look, no, I didn't sleep with a man. Uh, but it was one of these phantom pregnancies that eventually disappeared. So there are these very strange cases. And John Mack was looking at these as well, um, where the implication is that there is an, a species or spe multiple species so far advanced that they're able to like manipulate our, our consciousness and our memory. And they can do these things somehow in secret. Mm, okay. Well, are we living through a spiritual war of good versus evil. That's the next question. Yeah, I think so now. Um, when I first started researching this stuff, I was more focused on these beings of light in the near-death experience. It was much more of the benevolent stuff. And then when COVID started, it opened my eyes to a lot of the, the kinds of things that you cover on your show, which I think you do a great job of looking at some of this more conspiratorial stuff that I just wasn't aware of before, um, even to to what your next guest, Annika Lucas, talks about, who I mentioned in my book oh, as yeah, well, yeah. with regard to trafficking and ritual abuse, really dark stuff. That seems to exist as well. Um, but it exists not just to me in this realm. It, there are beings involved in this stuff. So when, when there are reports of these hor horrific rituals that are sometimes conducted in, in intentional trauma imposed on children and other people, sometimes those people report seeing beings that appeared like dark demonic beings that showed up, which is consistent with what I've seen in other areas too. So when I apply that to, you know, if we look at this metaphysical picture is that there are some of these really benevolent beings, some really dark beings, some in between like the abductions. Some people say it's to help to benefit us. Some people say it's, you know, to take over the planet. There are different opinions on this. Hmm. Um, it makes me look at the world very differently. So like when COVID started and they shut down the world, you know, there's lots of debate over uh, those types of topics. I, I am, very suspicious of governments taking away rights and actually wrote a book called an end to upside down liberty that is suspicious right. of government and and that whole thing um and I, I think it's not just this world i think there's something going on on a met metaphysical lens and looking back at ancient history and some of the ancient mythology is what i did in my book an end to upside down contact and you could look at those stories as myth but maybe there's some truth to them and maybe the quote-unquote gods were advanced intelligences that were just so far advanced relative to us but they're not the 
one field of consciousness. They're just another type of being. And maybe in some cases they help in other cases, they want to enslave us. Wow. Well, it's all stuff that we've got to think about. And I agree with you. I like that you want to probe at the governments and probe at the, the narratives that we've been fed. And once you get under there, you start to find more and more interesting uh, things. Did you, I mean, did you grow up at all? I mean, we talk about spirituality and stuff. Did you grow, did you grow up spiritual or, or anything like that? No. If anything, I was atheistic or agnostic. And that's why this has been such a massive shift for me, because I thought life is meaningless. It's totally random. Yeah. And when we die, it's over because so we can do whatever we want here, but ultimately it's not going to matter in the end. There's no meaning built into the fabric of reality. And then I got into this research in 2016, which hasn't ended. And it's just this whole body of stuff that I didn't know existed. And it's forced me to relook at life. Oh my God. What I wonder what would be like the one thing that would, because I feel a bit like how you were before. Yeah. And I wonder what like the one bit of information that would flip me would would be. What was what was yours? Do you remember? There wasn't one. It was a process yeah. of continuing to take like one step forward. And then I would get really skeptical and take two steps back. And I'd have yeah. to like keep, you know, doing that process of back and forth. And what happened, Andrew, was basically I got to a, a body of evidence that was out there that I was aware of that where I couldn't dismiss every case. And if every okay. if even one of the cases was real, then I had to rethink all of reality. So that's why I end up writing these books and then interviewing all the scientists. It's, I'm at the point where it's too much for me to go back to that worldview, but I don't, I still don't feel like I get it. You know, there's a lot to unpack within all this. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's really is interesting. And what kinds of things then are you talking about, you know, on your podcast? Uh, is, is it week by week then? No, it's actually an eight episode narrative series. It came out in 2019. Oh. We haven't done a second season. I interviewed dozens of scientists and experiencers, and I worked with a podcast production company to splice in clips of those interviews in a narrative between me and my producer who produces sports shows. And he's not really into spiritual stuff. So he's asking the basic questions and I'm, you know, somewhat new to this, but somewhat experienced. We're having a conversation and I'll say, Oh, well, I spoke to Dr. Bruce Grayson or Dr. Brian Josephson, a Nobel prize winner in physics. And here's what he said. And so we go through all this stuff. Um, about near-death experiences, telepathic communications, and it's called Where Is My Mind? Wow, that is pretty cool, and that's a great song as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so where does, what? what's the, well, I guess, again, it's speculating, isn't it? What's what's the end point? Are there theories as to, you know, what what happens next? Uh, what happens after death, for example? You said you were saying you, you thought there was nothing after death, and now you're not, you don't think that. What What do you think? I think there's something and we can get glimpses from the near-death experience. I mean, the challenge is that it's not a death experience. The person's resuscitated. So we get part of the process. Um, two things come to mind. One is called the shared death experience, where a, a person who's healthy, someone at the bedside or a family member who could be far away, co-lives the dying experience with the person who's dying. And they experience the same stuff that people talk about in the near-death experience, except the person's totally healthy. So they're reliving this, what they talk about being in a field of unconditional love, sometimes seeing spiritual entities, something other otherworldly that they go through, but then they, they come back to it. Uh, whereas the person who's dying goes further. So we only get a, a little bit of a glimpse, but we do get some interesting reports. And a lot of this work comes from the University of Virginia of children who have memories that appear to be of a previous life. And UVA has studied over 2,500 of these cases, starting with Dr. Ian Stevenson and now Dr. Jim Tucker at University of Virginia. And I interviewed Dr. Tucker on this. In the strongest cases, 
the children remember specific things about this alleged previous life that the researchers can validate by finding historical records. This person did exist. And sometimes the child has birthmarks or physical defects that align with the death of the person in the previous life. And in the strongest cases in terms of evidence, the researchers can find medical records that validate how that person died in the past life. So Dr. Stevenson, who started this process, I mean, his books are incredibly detailed on all this. And it's like, you know, if any one of these cases is, is true from a someone who's between two and six years old describing specific details. Now to your question of what happens in, after we die, that where I'm going here is sometimes the children also report what, they, what the researchers at the University of Virginia call an intermission memory. They talk about a period between lives and they talk about a choosing of the next life. So, I mean, the implications there are obviously immense uh, coming from mm -hmm. little kids. Um, it's not in all the cases, but actually Dr. Tucker uh, co-wrote a paper on this where they looked at children with past life memories and they looked at these intermission memories and the intermission memories, which we can't validate, right? Because we can't prove that there is this other dimension. We don't have physical evidence of it. But there was a strong correlation between children that got it, got it right with regard to past life memories, where there was a validation of those memories and them saying that they had intermission memories too. So sort of by proxy, it might lend some credence to it. And it somewhat gets to your question of what happens after life. Maybe we go to another dimension and there's a process where our whirlpool is recycled, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's a nice idea because I don't like the idea of just blackness and darkness for eternity. Right. Well, that's what I thought it was. And I was like, you know, Mark, that's just what science is teaching us. You got to accept it. Don't try to rationalize. Yeah. So that's where I came from. And then to me, I just because I have an evidence based mind, there was too much, basically. I saw a movie like that years ago. Uh, I must have been a child when I saw it. And I don't remember what it was, but there was like babies were being able to sort of choose where they'd go. And then they went down to I must have just been watching the TV. Do you know? Do you know what that that is? Yes, I haven't watched it, but a number of people have sent me the trailer. It's like a Disney movie or something where they talk about this pre-birth period. Yeah, that might be what's the that one. called? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, man. It's a cartoon. Want... Was it a cartoon? In my head, it wasn't, but it must have been because yeah. how did they have the babies? <laughs> yeah. The babies act. I thought it was, maybe it was day with children as they were acting. Oh, I don't know. Maybe someone in the in the comments knows what that was. Um, I'd love to see what that was just for nostalgia purposes as much yeah. as anything. Um, it's been brilliant. We're, we're out of time. Where do you want to send people to, to your stuff? Where do you want um, to go? My website is my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. All four of my books are on Amazon, uh, Kindle, hard copies, and Audible. And my podcast, Where Is My Mind, is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major players. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, you've been brilliant. It's been fast. I've learned a lot. I'm going to look into this stuff as well, I promise. It's awesome. really good. I might. I don't know if Sean's here and able to knock you off the thing. You might have okay. to close your window or something just to okay, go. Okay, I will. Well, thank you for having me and, and nice to be here with everyone. Thank you, Mark. Bye -bye. Thank you.